All right, well, welcome to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christopherson. It is Wednesday following the Wisconsin game. There's two games left on the schedule. There could be a third game added if Nebraska deserves it. I don't know if deserves is the right word. Earns it. Something. <laughs> something, yeah. If they something it. That, uh, that describes it well. We'll get into a little bit of the recruiting. Nebraska picked up 2021 commit over the weekend, set themselves up with some guys that visited uh, as part of the 2020 class as well. And, of course, you know, we'll get a little into Nebraska's game with Maryland, but, of course, we have the hype cast at the end of the week to get you fired up for Nebraska's first trip to College Park. I can't wait for that. I can't tell if you're serious. Uh, it's a new place. Check it out new, new spaces. I am, like, like intrigued by the, the trip. Um, it will get me down to having only not attended Big Ten games at Penn State, Michigan, and Rutgers. So mm. those are the, the three remaining schools I have yet to visit. I think that's a pretty good list to not have visited do you, to. Do you got? I mean, this is an obvious question, but do you guys like crab cakes? Because you're going to Maryland. I'm good with them. I don't get them very often. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Were you going to say the line? No, I wasn't. Yeah? No. We all know the line. I just was curious where you guys <laughs> came down on seafood. I, yeah. I love crab cakes. Do you? Yeah. We're going to get BC some crab I cakes. I get them as an appetizer all the time. Yeah, we're going to get an appetizer of crab cakes. We'll yeah. send you a photo. Yeah, we're definitely getting crab cakes. Okay. What if they have them in the press box? Oh man, that, that'll that'll make that rating of the Maryland trip go incredibly high for I, me. Like this is one of the the stadiums that I can't like conjure up a picture of what it looks like. I didn't assume it was real from you know, <laughs> it's like I thought it was in like Narnia or something. Yeah, no, it's it's real. So I I have no. Uh, Can you ride a giant dog there? <laughs> yeah, dog that'd thing. be something. Um, I, I have no like mental image of what that stadium or the surrounding campus area would remotely look like. So, And it's the same way for me with Rutgers, too. The rest of it you've seen on TV, but those are two stadiums where it's just like, I got nothing. It just strikes me as like generic stadium you'd see on NCAA football circa 2012. We and Earlier this summer, didn't we go through the pretty long and illustrious career of or, like lineage of Maryland quarterbacks. Yeah, they're actually pre- pretty interesting. Frank Reich and Boomer Esiason. Yeah, and I assume Steve Blake like greets you on the elevator going up to the press box. Like Juan Dixon's yeah. standing around. <laughs> Joe Smith. I mean, if you guys want to talk about that championship Maryland basketball team, I was a big fan. I watched a lot of their games. <laughs> Except for that, that was like the worst title game in the history of title games. That was the year Indiana kept like... Yeah. With they Mike Davis clawing their way to the mm-hmm. final, and then it was like 60-44 to 44 or something. That wasn't the worst game because UConn would play Butler. Yes, yes that happened, too. In a four-versus-eight matchup mm-hmm. that I think set back offensive basketball for <laughs> a few years. But um, We should get those opinions about that Maryland championship game out of the way now before we're there. Yeah, I, that, I think that, that's that fair. That could be a, get us in a fight. It was a fun Maryland team. I enjoyed them. All right, well, let's let's get into what happened against Wisconsin on Saturday. Nebraska put up a bunch of yards. Nebraska did not put up enough points. The The Huskers also surrendered 37 in a 37-21 loss. You're looking for some positives. They gave up less points than they did last year uh, in this game, so there's that. Um, they also have a slightly better margin of loss than they did against Wisconsin a year ago. To me, Saturday felt like it was a series of 
chances for Nebraska to kind of crash Wisconsin's season a little bit and failing to take advantage of those opportunities, starting all the way with the kickoff return for a touchdown immediately after the surprising fumble recovery and then Nebraska touchdown drive. I also really wish, although this would have cut maybe into some of what Diedrich Mills did, but I really wish Wandale had been healthy in that game because I think it would have gotten pretty interesting. I, I don't think we would have seen Mills have the kind of game that he did if Wandale played. I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that Nebraska has figured out how to use those two guys effectively together. Well, I, I kind of agree with you, but I'm thinking more of if Nebra- if if all things were the same with how they moved the ball between the 30s or whatever and Wandale were part of the equation down when they're like on the five-yard line on the you know the little slip screen stuff that Wyatt Missouri got you know tackled on the one-yard line. I just think a couple... Scott Frost said as much, like a couple different guys in different spots, and that that game goes down on the wire. Yeah, well, it, it, they had every reason for it to go down yeah. on the wire. They, I mean, for as good as Wisconsin's defense has been the last couple of years when this offense has faced them, Nebraska has not had an issue moving the ball. They've had an issue scoring points. They've had an issue staying out of their own way. They've had an issue with bad time for turnovers and a special teams touchdown uh, and those sorts of things, but... For as bad as the offense has been at times this year, to do that to that defense shows you there's still so much potential for what this team could have been or should have been and still could be with two games remaining. Bruns wrote about Ty Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was one of the bright spots of the game. Uh, he played and p- held his own. What would what you get out of talking to Tuioti? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting conversation because Ty Robinson did make a tackle in that game. Um, but I think what you saw was a guy that Nebraska was very high on uh, for good reason last year. Um, he came in at 315 pounds. He's down to about 295. And he held up, I, I think, pretty well for the most part. He got pushed around a, on a couple plays, but... Um, you can see where he's going to be a big part of what Nebraska is going to do defensively next year because they're losing so many guys, but also because of the fact that he can play the nose, he can play defensive end, he can play a three technique. Like they, they feel comfortable using him in a variety of ways. And you know there, there was one play that he kind of flashed a little bit where they ran, I think ran ran a stunt with Ben Stilley, and Robinson kind of came free and then you know forced a a quick throw from Cone and. You know, that those are the kinds of plays you, you need. And I, I think, you know, as much as there's been frustration about maybe not playing some of these freshmen early on for their four games, I think a guy like Ty Robinson really benefited from being able to, uh, you know, get stronger uh, and, and to drop a little bit of weight from high school uh, and get himself in a position to play. Tony Tuioti says this week that, that they would like to double the snap count that Robinson had. We'll see if they do that because it looks like, you might have Darian Daniels back in some form or fashion. You will probably have Carlos Davis uh, in the lineup as well. But I, I think, you know, when you're – Scott Frost doesn't want silver linings, but I think a silver lining for that game was, you know, you, you've got you, – the, the guys from that 2019 class that you're counting on to be dudes look like with the proper development and, and kind of coming along in their career have the potential to be difference makers early on. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. They've got – Almost all those guys have the right frames. Like, it's not, you, you know, when you go through the list, even, like, most I knew some, I think is kind of an impressive guy in person. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, Casey Rogers definitely is. Schaefer talked to him. And Casey Rogers is a confident guy. Um, I like him a lot. I mean, he his quote that he had about, hey, we got to not just be as good. We got to be better. This thing has to go straight up than the guys we're replacing. Um, that's that's a bold thing to say as a redshirt freshman when the seniors are still in your room, and but it's also the thing that has to happen. So, yeah. Uh, well, and I I think that it's good to have that kind of confidence and that kind of swagger about what you want to go out and do. Now, going out and doing it, two different things, but Casey Rogers is a guy that, regardless of whether it was Mike Dawson or now Tony Tuioti um, or some of his own teammates, I mean, he's gotten a little bit of buzz this year as someone who has flashed when he, at practices, hasn't had much to do in games and the snaps that he's, he's played, uh, but that's a guy that I think is going to be a big rotational piece on that defensive line next year. I mean, you're going to have Ben Stilley, DeAndre Thomas is is defensive ends, and then behind that, Ty Robinson, Casey Rogers, and if they go get a junior college guy. So I I fully expect he's going to be in the mix with what Nebraska wants to do on the defensive line. Uh, I did not know this, that Tony Tuioti tried to recruit him to Cal, Mm -hmm. that he had an in-home visit with him. Uh, For some reason, if I did know that at any point in time, it slipped my mind. Uh, But that also is a good sign to me because I think that, you know, Tuioti has a pretty good reputation of finding some of these guys and, and turning them into pretty good defensive linemen with what you've seen with Cal, with mm-hmm. both the guys that he left there and, and when he was there. Uh, so I anticipate this defensive line. Of, of all of the areas in the defense, I mean, I think the secondary is in the best spot with who they brought in and Travis Fisher and the work that he's done. I feel next best about that defensive line at this point. Huh. And some of it is I like what they have with the, the younger guys. I like with what they're bringing in with Nash Hutmacher, and I anticipate, you know, Marquise Black as well, but I anticipate they're going to get a junior college guy to, to join that group. Um, I, I think they're going to have a, a pretty interesting mix of guys to replace the Davis Twins and Darian Daniels. My sense is Tony Tuioti was a really good hire, too. That's kind of my early sense. Well, he ha- they have to prove it. They gotta they gotta keep getting better. I was thinking about this on the way over here. Sometimes it's we talk. It's like one or the other. It's like either the the young guys got to we get in this thing where it's all about the young guys stepping up, or it's seniors. It's got to be a convergence of the two. I mean, the 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 guys like Stilly and DeAndre Thomas and Damian Daniels have to be really good next year. I mean, these other guys are going. I think. They can be okay, and they can get to that spot where they're solid, but it's a lot to ask, as much promise as Ty Robinson and Casey Rogers have, that in 2020 they're just going to be, you know, second-team yeah. all-conference guys. and They don't need to be that. Like, that's, that's some of it to me is that they need guys that can just consistently do the job, and they need enough of them. No, they need like five or six of like right. that are on the verge of mm-hmm. that kind of list. And, and they I'm don't not have saying to be on the list, right? They, they don't have to be first, second team, all Big Ten players, but they at least need to be mentioned in that regard. Um, I I don't know. I think we get in this lapse of oh, if Nebraska just gets one guy that does this, it's going to fix everything. And that's not they they have a lot that they need to sort of fill in. And then, yeah, they do need some defensive erasers. They need some defensive playmakers. But on that front, they just need consistency and guys that are going to show up, play every game, uh, you know, give them consistent effort up front. 
you know, a lot of the issues that they've had in the first two years, it feels like from game to game you get different effort or you get different, uh, you know, production out of your, your nose tackle. I mean, that's – Damian Daniels is going to be as important to anything in Nebraska's cause next year, and I still can't tell you that he's put together a game where he's looked like the kind of dominant player that he does in flashes. Mm-hmm. He just hasn't hit that level of consistency. His brother Darian obviously had, uh, but it's going to be on Damian. You're not going to have Darian next year. It's, I mean, what you kind of need is, frankly, a little bit of like the Wisconsin model where you've got, you know, a front that's not necessarily remarkable, but you've got five, six guys who you know are going to be a handful just because they play within the system. And it frees up guys that yeah. the the outside linebackers that Wisconsin always seems to find and have who can create issues, fly around the field, and, and get after the quarterback. I mean, it's, you know, you don't need Indomitian Sue. You know, you, you might need a guy like Isaiah Loudermilk at, at Wisconsin who, you know, when you flip on the film, he's not necessarily going to pop with athleticism, but you know that you're basically yeah. in for, for four quarters of, and then the, of a tough go. the guy behind him, it's not some substantial drop. Right. You know, you're getting – if they get into the situation where they have a rotation of six guys and they're getting the same level of base play out of those six guys and it's reasonably high, that's when you know Nebraska's defense is doing what it wants to do. And, and the, the weird thing is, is that this year is probably the closest that they've gotten to that yeah. in recent years. I mean, it's – that speaks probably to to what's been here in the past, but but also you know, I've been a little bit surprised at how as the season's gone along, it seems like the the gap between the top defensive line and the second team defensive line seems to be growing. Um, you, you just notice with snap numbers uh, when when teams kind of start moving a little bit in the second quarter, you look down and it's usually that second team group that's on the field. So you have to get that gap smaller. And it's it'll be interesting next year with the mix of guys that they have, where it's you know some pretty veteran guys, and then the Robinsons, the Rogers, the Hutmockers, the Green, the Greens, whoever, um, are, are going to have to kind of make sure that that, that they kind of stay with those older guys. Which, which which position group on offense do you guys you said you feel best about secondary going forward? Where on offense do you feel good? Are we throwing quarterbacks out? Yep. Okay. Uh. Unless you don't feel good about the quarterbacks, no, I. That would be the the position group I feel best about. But um, it, eliminating them, it would probably be, and I probably deserve to be mocked for this. But the offensive line, I like what they have pulled together there. I'm very intrigued by what it's going to look like next year. Uh, you know, we're hearing some some good buzz about. Ethan Piper and Bryce Benhart, but also somebody like Jimmy Fritchie, too, who uh, I don't know how much you guys have heard his name come up, but I know especially early in the year when they were going through scout team stuff, his name was coming up from defensive players. That's a guy that Nebraska, I think, was borderline giddy that they kept him away from Clemson. Uh, And he was someone that was supposed to take probably two to three years. And if it's two years instead that could be a real nice depth on your offensive line. And, I I mean, I don't think that Turner Corcoran's going to come in and start right away, but if he can push, you know, Trent Hickson and Bo Wilson uh, at the guard spot, if Matt Farniok slides down, Bryce Benhart plays right tackle. I, I think the offensive line looked good against Wisconsin. Some of that is because of the way Wisconsin was defending them, 
with two-man fronts and, and some of those other things. But I also think the offensive line, quietly, has really kind of turned, I would say, around the Indiana game where they've been less of the issue most of the time. Uh, over the last three games, I think they've played reasonably well. So I would go offensive line. Greg also talked about that a little bit today about, you know, it's been small, very small, very incre- incremental progress and with that group, and that's kind of how he prefers it. I think he compared it to like if he teaches his five-year-old daughter how to ride a bike. Um, you know, you, you want to see that gradually come along. Um, I now picture a bunch of six foot five guys trying to ride like a bike with training wheels. Well, I'm imagining great. Greg Austin chasing his daughter on a bike. <laughs> which that's, oh, poor Greg Austin. Uh, but his lack of knees. Yeah, poor guy. Um, but I, I, you, you saw it. I think with that Wisconsin game was probably the best that they had played outside of maybe the first half of Colorado. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought they were really good uh, early on. I, I thought that. You know, they, they had a couple busts in, in that second quarter uh, in pass pro, but they, they held up uh, against Wisconsin and, and probably played uh, well enough for that score to be a little bit better than what it was. But how that group shakes out next year will be fascinating because I, I feel like both of those guard spots are going to be wide open depending on what they want to do with, with Farniok. Uh, ben Hart coming along uh, at that right tackle spot is something. Well, they don't have a single senior. Right. So that's that's another reason why I kind of feel like you're taking a group that if they, they just get to okay now, and if you replace one, maybe two guys on that line, you could go from okay to maybe good next year. Well, and, and as much as Cam Jurgens has kind of taken his lumps with snaps being all over the place and, you know, a call here or there that he's missed, which Greg Austin also talked about, He's going to be better off for that. I, I think he's still their best option at center. They're very still high on, on what his long-term uh, ability will be. So it, that group, more than any, feels like it's probably got the most growth potential. Tight end might have been another one that you could have mentioned, I guess, with the addition of Vokalek yeah. and maybe Chris Hickman coming along. But Brian, do you have any? Well, I, is I, there a position group? No, I, kind of, I would probably answer the same as you. Um, the funny part where the way you started it is true, I think, of any answer you gave where you could say, well, I'd probably be mocked for this because I think that's the problem. Like if you say running back, which also flashed in my head simply because I think Diedrich Mills in the last game showed what I thought he could be and maybe always was, but just really hasn't been utilized that way. Um, He's not a dynamic necessarily when we talk about like all conference guys, but he's solid. And I think if you can get another scholarship guy or two in here next season, and maybe it's Ramirez, maybe it's the kids who are on the way who I like a lot in this class, um, that the picture at running back can change in a hurry. You know, like that, that's one of those groups where you get like two guys that you feel really good about that play well off each other and you get some good health with it. And, uh, that that looks okay. Um, so running back, I think could, and I think Ryan held, it, who's he's an optimist, but I think he's confident that it's gonna that picture is gonna be way different next year. I sort of doubt that it's ever going to be particularly settled at running back. The back-to-back years where you've had attrition, I I think that it's such a position in which guys, if they don't feel like they're gonna get used enough, will leave in the middle of the season. Um, I I just I don't know. I, I'm very curious 
if we were to flash forward into the middle of next season, you know, week six or whatever, what the actual running back room looks like at that point in time. Because you were over there today, I think you were over there, when I was standing there, and they don't want Wandale Robinson as a running back. They want him as a receiver. So then is it going to be, you know, Mills and Johnson and some of those freshmen? Uh, Because that even feels a little bit thin too. So I'm very curious what they do over the next, you know, period of time to kind of figure out this running back thing. Because I guess at this point to me, I don't know what more evidence you need to make Diedrich Mills your guy at running back. And they hesitated all year long up until when Wandale was out for this game to just give him the ball. Mm -hmm. And it worked very well. Yeah, he ran hard. And I mentioned this on our board about Ramir Johnson. I think the... I think the office conversations that we don't know about are the key. When you talk about stability in the room and all that, like I get the frustration from the fan base with that Ramirez used up two games by only playing a snap, and part of it stems from the fact that he was talked up like he could really help this year. And so that kind of created an unnecessary sidebar that didn't need to be there by kind of you know, basically getting the fans to believe, like, okay, he's go- at some point you're going to see this guy, and I think he's going to do something. And that, that didn't materialize. But I don't think he was the – Ramir Johnson right now is the difference between the fortunes in this season turning dramatically. Yeah, and so, to me, the key is forget all the other noise. What is the re- does Ramir Johnson understand what happened this year? And if he does, fine. You know, then they're fine. And Ryan Held today, I think, said he thought Ramirez was on the same page with that. And that's the key with all these conversa- these young guys. It's like, how, are they getting why they're not out there right now and what the future can be for them soon, though, if they work hard? All right, well, let's, uh, let's take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll get into recruiting. Nebraska picked up a 2021 commit. They had several important visitors on campus. We are inching closer to that wonderful time of year when the staff goes out onto the road and there's in-home visits and there's drama and pandemonium and surprise visitors and secret visitors and visitors that never make it to campus. All of that is just... Silent like, commits? There's silent, well, there's always silent yes. commits, Brian. There's always those guys we never know that said yes and then never actually did. <laughs> all right, we'll get into all that when we come back. Henry Lutovsky committed to Nebraska, offensive lineman out of Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Do either of you know where Mount Pleasant, Iowa is? It's close to Iowa City, right? Yeah, it's over there. How close is it to Tiffin? It is 50 minutes (laughs) south of Tiffin, Okay. which means it's probably 50 minutes south of Iowa City. Okay. So uh, Henry Lutovsky, really kind of an interesting pickup for Nebraska. This is a a guy that 6'6", probably closer to 6'5", but, you know, a legit 6'5". 320 pounds. He moves pretty well if you watch his film for a, a bigger guy. And he's already sort of anticipating he's going to be an interior player. He's developed pretty good relationships with guys like Teddy Prohaska and Turner Corcoran early on in his tenure um, or in during through the recruitment. And so when we would see him, and I actually think I give Brunts a little credit here, he was the first guy that kind of alerted me to how – vocal or how uh, often 
Henry was retweeting Nebraska-related things. I mean, this goes all the way back to the summer. Mm -hmm. And so this is a guy that I I think Nebraska had always felt pretty good about. They picked up that commitment on Sunday. That gives them three for the 2021 class, one defensive lineman in R.J. Sorensen out of university school in Fort Lauderdale. Then you have Elkhorn South's Teddy Prohaska, an offensive lineman, and now Henry Lutovsky, another offensive lineman. I'm just kind of impressed by how well Greg Austin has kind of come to Nebraska, turned around a little bit what had been, uh, I don't know, have a better word, poor offensive line recruiting under Mike Cavanaugh uh, and what we had seen with with Mike Riley, and really has kind of built this thing up and and benefited from moving guys like Ethan Piper and, and Brant Banks, but I mean... You have Will Farniak, who would have been your starting center if Cam Jurgens hadn't emerged, and, and basically they decided to go with Cam Jurgens. But you you have all of these different guys. You know, I mentioned Banks and Piper. You have Bryce Benhart. You have Matthew Anderson. You have Michael Lynn. You know, Michael Lynn's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if we're hearing in the spring is pushing for playing time too. I mean, that was someone they thought could play pretty early in his career. You have Jimmy Fritchie, who I mentioned on the uh, the earlier part of the podcast. He's coming on strong. Uh, you have Turner Corker and Alex Kahn are going to be joining the mix. So there's there's a lot of linemen, and you're going to throw in Teddy Prohaska and, and Henry Lutovsky. So Greg Austin's done a really nice job in a short amount of time of really building up the area that everybody loves to talk about around here, and that's the offensive line. And I really do think that between his coaching and their youth, they're going to be pretty good, and they're going to be at a point where – we can honestly say Nebraska will be able to reload its offensive line because of the recruiting that they have done. Stats department was just working overtime while you're talking there. Do you know who probably the most famous person from Mount Pleasant, Iowa is? Tom Arnold. No. Anybody else? Wait, do you have a, a hint? Guess, do you have a hint? He's a current college football coach. Oh, wow. Um, head coach. Former Power 5 head coach. Tom Arnold's from Ottumwa, I think. Okay. Guy wears a visor. He's got bad hair. Holgerson? Gus Melzahn. Dan Holgerson. Holgerson. Oh. Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Did not know that. Wow. How big is Mount Pleasant? 8,000 people. Also, um, current Sticks bassist Ricky Phillips uh, is also <laughs> Mount Pleasant. <native. laughs> yeah. I think Holgerson would be fun to hang out with. Yeah? Yeah, I do. <laughs> You'd get in some trouble, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's, that, that's your update. Do you think that he just jumped on with Mike Leach when Leach was rolling through Iowa Wesleyan and he's like, that's the guy I want to coach with? Yeah. And so then he just followed him from there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how a guy from Mount Pleasant, Iowa, becomes the head coach at West Virginia and Houston by way of Texas Tech. Well, he was uh, he was with Mummy, right? He was like a, in the Howl Mummy chain. Well, he's part of the Mike Leach tree. I don't know if he ever really actually jumped in with uh, the Hal Mummy thing, but Hal Mummy and Mike Leach were at Iowa Wesleyan. They uh, Leach and apparently this is we're going off the rails here. Uh, Leach and, and uh, Holgerson coached together at Valdosta State. Nice. So Hal, that was under Hal Mummy. That so. was the the stop after the Iowa Wesleyan, and then they reunited at Texas Tech. When they went down to Valdosta State, previously a heavy triple option offense, and turned them into a five-wide offense. Yes. And the town didn't like it. Anyways. <laughs> well, Holgerson also, uh, Holgerson played. 
for Leach. That was the connection. He, really? He played at Iowa Wesleyan. There we go. Oh, man. It comes full circle. <laughs> this is you're, you're turning on the podcast, and you're like, man, I wonder if I'm going to learn anything today. <laughs> you're damn right you're going to learn something. I wonder if I'm going to learn anything about Mount Pleasant, Iowa today. <laughs> Oh. I love the name Lutovsky. It sounds like a name of like in some PG thirteen movie, kind of like an or like a rated R maybe Animal House movie, where uh, it's the guy in class who's kind of acting up, and get, not that he's a bad student. I'm sure he's a great student, but it's a great name for like Lutovsky. You know, you can well, imagine a gym, a gym yeah, teacher well, yelling it really loud. Yeah. Are you just saying that because isn't it Blutovsky in the Animal yeah. House movies? Yeah, so it's I, just I, lacks I, the B. Yeah, I've kind of yeah, I think so. Um, kind of a lazy take, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Do I didn't. Better. I didn't realize that until you said it, and then I re- my. But that's how my brain got the, for that, the recollection yes. <laughs> yes. as I'm as I'm saying it. Uh, well, let's move on from Henry to Nebraska's <laughs> visit weekend. So they had seven official visitors, multiple guys from the state of Florida. Nobody has committed at this point, but there have been several crystal ball predictions put in for some of these visitors. Uh, I'm curious, when you hear that a guy that's still on Nebraska's campus on Monday morning decommits from Miami, do you consider that a good sign for Nebraska? Well, it's a good sign for somebody. (laughs) I mean, I'm not much of a detective, but it seems like there might be some connection between the two things. Um, You strike me as a guy who would have liked to have been a detective in another life. No. You, but you like to investigate things. Oh. You're always researching I, stuff. Yeah, Dana Holgerson. I'm not exactly <laughs> solving crimes over here. Good of. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, that's it's probably good news, I would guess, for for Nebraska and Marcus Fleming. You never wanted to be a detective. No. That surprises me. It really does. Oh, sorry. He drinks a lot of coffee too. Yeah. Yeah. It all works. I don't yeah. know what. I could just see him like rolling into a crime scene, hassling the reporter that's there. Just generally looking perturbed yeah. about having to be there. I I can do that. <laughs> I do that well. <laughs> all right. We're all over the place. Yeah, we Marcus need to. Fleming. I'll rein this in. Marcus Fleming is uh, the wide receiver that I was talking about there. He's five foot nine and a half, 165 pounds. Basically, if you needed a comp, think J.D. Spielman, but maybe faster? Uh, said to be the fastest player in the 2020 class in the state of Florida, which Jeez. is a uh, oh. accomplishment, I think. You ran a 4.47 at the opening. Yeah, which I may not even be like his fastest uh, well, listed. Legit 4.47. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So Marcus Fleming's one of those guys. The other one's Brian Robinson. I have a tough time seeing Nebraska pull him in. He's planning on making a signing day announcement at his school at Palm Beach Central. He's still waiting to see who's going to be announced as a Florida State coach. In addition to that, Alabama has basically have it set up for they're going to get him to visit the week, you know, the weekend before signing day. And if there's an opening at Alabama, I have a hard time imagining a wide receiver would not want to go there, uh, given all of the success that their wide receivers have had as of late. But, I, you know, Nebraska's able to bring them in. They, they had their opportunity. They certainly have kind of the peer recruiting pitch going on with Henry Gray and Ronald Delancey. Maybe somebody like Marcus Fleming, uh, whose high school teammate is Ronald Delancey. So that's a nice sign for Nebraska. But the other Miami guy that I think they have a real chance with, and I actually am inching closer to putting in a crystal ball myself, Jaden Francois is a defensive playmaker. He'd be a safety, I think, at the next level. 
He's not the fastest guy. Uh, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek. He's 4'6 speed. But the guy had 12 interceptions as a junior. He's a ball hawk. He finds, you know, figures out where the ball is going to go. He puts himself in position. He makes plays. That's a guy who's tight with some of those other ones, you know, like Ronald Delancey, like Marcus Fleming. So I, I think Jaden Francois would be a huge win for Nebraska. Elsewhere in Florida, Xavier Hutchinson's actually from Jacksonville. He's committed to Iowa State and currently at Blinn Community College. Nebraska really likes him, um, and it does seem that there is an avenue where they could end up trying to take Omar Manning and Xavier Hutchinson in the same class because the need at wide receiver is so immense. Uh, I still kind of think they're only going to end up with one junior college guy, and I still think it's Omar Manning at this point. But I've heard that visit went well. And then uh, Kendall Dennis visited as well. He's a defensive back out of uh, Lakeland, and he is looking at Tennessee, Nebraska, Georgia's in there, Auburn's in there. Got Oklahoma offer after the visit. Oh, Oklahoma offered after yeah. the visit. So there you go. So Oklahoma's going to be in the mix too. So he's a guy that is intriguing in his own right. And then on the other side of the country, you have Darian Green-Warren, who had probably the most full-throated endorsement of this visit uh, with the quotes that he had coming out there. He's looking at making a decision at the All-American Bowl, which means he's going to try to sign and keep it quiet in December. Uh, a process that never seems to go as well as the recruits hope. But Nebraska's in a really good shape with him, and that's actually the guy that if, if you were to get them to kind of go uh, as much as they could on the record before this visit weekend, Darian Green Warren's the guy that they probably felt the best about, and it doesn't sound like it was a bad weekend by any means for him, certainly with the way that he was talking and his general, you know, enthusiasm for Travis Fisher and Scott Frost. So I would say all in all, pretty good weekend for Nebraska. Jamoy Hodge, Brunch, you talked with him. What would you learn? Yeah, he's a four-for-three junior college linebacker out of Independence Community College um, of Netflix fame. Um, visited this past weekend. He's got Arizona coming up on November 23rd. Nebraska sees him as an inside linebacker. Uh, but a guy that they could put in coverage, they could use in nickel situations, they could put him uh, to the field side and, and kind of have him play in space. Um, so the fact that he's a four for three, he's a January enrollee, I, I think that kind of adds to the intrigue there. Um, had Lamar, Liberty, and, and Morgan State offers, and then uh, Nebraska and Arizona jumped in. Those are basically his top two. He told me that after he visits... Um, Arizona. He's going to kind of come home, uh, make a decision, and that's going to be the, the decision. I mean, he sees the need at Nebraska. He sees how he could play right away, uh, just given the, the lack of proven depth, um, and, and especially proven depth that can cover in space at the inside linebacker spot. So uh, that's one to watch, I think, because I think he really hit it off with Barrett Rood. Uh, Ryan Held is involved as well, so that, that, that always helps with junior college guys, but uh, obviously, Nebraska, based on what they did during the, the bye week, wants uh, some help at, at defensive end, outside linebacker, inside linebacker at the junior, from the junior college ranks. And uh, Jamoy told me that basically Nebraska told him he's number one on their board among that group. They're wanting to know where he's going to go so they can kind of uh, you know go on down the road if they need to. But uh, he, he's definitely one to watch a few days after uh, this weekend when he kind of sits down and makes a decision. It's interesting, like, right after the Purdue loss, 
there's just like this gray cloud hanging over everything and it felt like from the outside i think a lot of outside people looking in when they're looking at recruiting they're like what what do they got right now Mm -hmm. and it did feel like in the span of seven to ten days they haven't they haven't actually closed the deal on people but they've really changed, I think, at least the thought. Like, okay, I, I think people now could look at it with some promise. Like, okay, there's, there's, this class could still finish with a bang. They, mm-hmm. They've at least set themselves up in that two-week span where I feel like they've kind of changed the woe-is-me type of vibe that's in Nebraska right now with recruiting to, like, well, let's, let's just see where this goes. Well, they, I mean, they've got to add probably ten guys, um, uh, you know, between now and February, and then probably some guys out of the transfer portal after that. So there's going to be momentum. It's going to happen at some point, but it, it just it feels like there's there's a few more guys kind of browsing around up by the registers now, whereas before it was everybody was kind of just walking around, hanging out in the back. Yeah, just hanging out in the back, just browsing. What do you browse when you're by the registers? Like, what do you look at? You're going to the grocery store. You're buying something. You're waiting in line for the old guy in front of you who's got the one can of soup and the can of cat food. He's writing a check for it. Yeah, exactly. And you're just standing there. What are you looking at? Are you like you reading the headlines on the tabloids? I'm, I'm trying to talk myself out of that sharing size bag of peanut M&Ms that I don't need. That, that's usually my that's my 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 jam. Brian, you? I I read the gossip mags. Yeah. You have a favorite? No, just whatever catches my eye. It's all in the headline. Is there a uh, is oh, there Megan a topic that you get excited when you see that it's back in the gossip news? No, not really. It's it. it just, I don't know if you're a big Princess Di guy. Or... Like when someone has an illegitimate baby, I'm always intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, and it's like oh, so and so had this baby with so and so. I'm gonna I'm gonna get, open my mind to the idea that anything can happen. Well, I get like a monster drink. I kind of reach. I'm reaching with my right hand to get a monster drink out of that sliding yeah. refrigerator. But your eyes are locked in to left, see. But I'm still looking to the left to see who the baby is. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, we uh, we're gonna finish it Let's with end that. It with that. Yeah. If you have some uh, celebrity illegitimate baby news, feel free to tweet that at Brian Christopher. I like that. <laughs> he would love to know. He's very very into it. If you'd like to share peanut M and M's. With Michael Brunts, you can do that. I'm not sharing. As well. Or, you know what you could do? You could just catch us on the Husker Hypecast, which will be Friday as we get you prepared for crab cakes and football.